Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, this is comedian and depressed alcoholic James Nokise, and you're listening to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower, a podcast about headspace and happiness. From my safe space, the shower with fried chicken. This episode, I'm talking to comedian, actor, and international agent of chaos, David Cordios. We'll talk about the joys of friends. They ran a trolley, full speed, ran it into the gutter, and it flipped and just slammed me right in the face. They said to me, do this, and we'll be your friend. The joys of festivals. No one was really laughing, and I stopped halfway through the show, and I went, this isn't me. Why am I doing this? I'm so sorry. And the joys of growing up in New Zealand. Dude, the first time I got called the N-word, I was seven years old. Yo, what? <laughs> Some of this will get a bit real. The language, the subjects. So make sure you're in a safe space with your comfort food. And join us eating fried chicken in the shower. Hi, and welcome to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower. I'm James Nokise, and with me today is David Koryos. Hi. Have I said your last name right? Yeah, yeah. It's good. Are you sure? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's right. Because your name's <laughs> like my last name. It's yeah. got a bit of magic to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to add, like, the Filipino-ness to it. To yeah. Koreos. Koreos. Um, I, I said it wrong for, like, the longest time. Yeah. But then one of my friends, James Roque, yeah. he was like, yo, you got to say your last name. How are you supposed to say it? Roque's been in the shower, too. Yeah, really? Yeah, man, he came in, came in, had oh, some nice. chicken. You know, I always get the boys to come yeah. in. <laughs> what are you doing today? Yo, come. Tell me Where's about your last name and bring <laughs> some chicken. Is this, uh, yeah, it's the same. I'd said, um, I think I grew up, because I had a slightly British accent from mum. Mm. So I was going to go, hello, hello, what's your name? James, what's your last name? No Kisei. Or <laughs> <laughs> someone's going, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> no Kisei. That's not how you say it. But it's good. Yeah, because I had like, I had one teacher that's, because it's, it's that whole thing of like, um, when Filipinos say a word compared to when like a Kiwi says a word, mm. it's like, okay, how do you put the Kiwi twist on a Filipino word. Yeah. And then one day, I, one of my teachers very confidently said my name is Corios, and I was mm. like, that's it. Yeah. That's the one that white people could say. I'm going to force <laughs> that one for everyone to say. And then, yeah, after seeing James' post, I was like, no, say it how it's supposed to be said. Yeah. I, I, I tend to let people get away with the vowels in the right order. Yeah. Like, if you can go N-O-K-I and S-E and get mm. all three of those, like, in vowel order... Yeah, I'll let your. I'll, we'll give your accent. We'll say that's the excuse for your mispronunciation. Yeah, like, nice. You know, because I've had Nikose, Noski, Nokia, Nikose. It's like, and they, and it's only if I say it to them. I don't know if it's the same with your last name. If yeah. I say my last name to them, they're fine. 
Yeah. If I write it down, oh man, it's like I've cast a spell. My dad doesn't respect English. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, solidarity. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my dad goes, hey, let's go to the Norman Harvey. And I'm like, Papa, if you're not even doing this, I don't know why. My dad is like, <laughs> my, dad, my dad has a PhD, right? Yeah. Like, and he gives international conferences. Yeah. But he knows that his accent it will wind us up yeah. if he does that. Because <laughs> he's been so hard on us to get educated that when he fobs it up, yeah. like, and I use that term endearingly, yeah. Pacific Island people going, what did he just say? Come on, man, our people are stories. <laughs> like, when, <laughs> when he fobs it up, like, he'll see me with a group of mates, like some of the comedians, and he'll just be like, hey, James, got to go to KFC, got to food. You have a PhD. <laughs> uh, speaking of food, my brother, what food have you bought to the shower today? Oh, I've uh, brought a classic of me uh, growing up. It's yeah. a KFC mm -hmm. with a big old cider rice. So, and how did you discover this amazing uh, KFC jasmine rice combo? I think this is just like the most Filipino thing you could ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like one of my big things is like I don't know if I rip, rip my culture that well. Yeah. But I mean, when it comes to food, I'm very Filipino. Yeah. And I mean, this is as Filipino as it gets. Is junk food with a side of rice. With a side mean, of rice. Yeah. Of course, a culture. Yeah, yeah, For yeah. the culture. <laughs> For the culture. <laughs> it's cultural. Yeah. I mean, you go to McDonald's and you won't, you won't see chips. You'll see like a side of rice. That's um, in Philippine McDonald's? Yeah, Philippine McDonald's, Amazing. KFC. Yeah, so it's like, because it's just, it's the ultimate. Let's get into it, man. Okay, cool. cool. Oh, that's called eating fried chicken. Eat, eat. Oh, sweet. Yeah, just get yeah, what I want. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I like that these are in plastic bags. Mm. <laughs> I haven't seen this. I have, I have to admit, this is West Auckland KFC, so I did have a moment of anxiety. Drinking the Coke where I thought maybe it had Woodstock in it, but yeah. you, you never know. <laughs> that's, that's proper West Auckland. Well, they really taste like budget, budget oh. uh, Coke. Were you born in the Philippines? No, I was born in Christchurch. So you're like me, you're New Zealand born mm. with mm -hmm. um, immigrant parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, is, it, is it fun for you to like, have these moments of, of your culture? Because I, I, take, I take a lot of strength from my Pacific heritage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's like, a, a, and the sense of community I have here. I'd like, does, is there a big Filipino community in Christchurch? I say, I, say, yeah. actually, I, say, I, I feel bad. I say that like suspiciously, but actually, it, like, is there? There's a huge, now even more, there's a really huge population of Filipinos in Christchurch. Right. Um, the one thing that really stands out to me when I was a kid was we had the Filipino Society. Mm. And they, it would be like this, these groups of like this group of Filipinos that would organize all of these social events. Mm. And that's kind of how you got to know all the other Filipinos in the group. Yeah, and so you'd kind of, you'd go to these events and you'd see the same kids and you'd hang out with them. Mm. And that's kind of how I connected with being Filipino a lot was those events, was hanging mm. out with other people. It wasn't necessarily about learning what it is to be a Filipino, but just hanging out with other Filipinos. Oh, same thing with Pacific Islands and the church. Mm. Like, you know, all, so many of my Pacific friends, let alone my um, Pacific like, family, is from growing up in a church, because it was that same community thing. Yeah, yeah, we had, we had the same thing as well, where sometimes after church, I remember like we would have these special Filipino masses and they'd get a Filipino priest in, and then afterwards we'd have a big shared lunch yeah, right. and everyone would bring food. And looking back, the family that always impressed everyone else was the one that turned up with a bucket of chicken. Oh man, <laughs> like, yo, they got K-Fries. Yeah, what? My parents used to make me do a lot of those social events because they'd be, they'd have like little events 
within the because there were always discos mm. but within that disco there would be like another event like maybe there was like a beauty pageant involved <laughs> what yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know why but philippines is really into their beauty pageants yeah and so they'd always have like kids pageants yeah and so my parents used to like because i was a naughty kid they would enter yeah. me in these beauty pageants just to kill time oh man we it's like all right <laughs> yeah yeah so no, it's just great it's so lovely to have a friend in the shower and then go oh this is something i don't we have not talked about yeah. this. oh really really you never told me oh yeah bro by the way i used to be a beauty queen yeah <laughs> no. <laughs> no i'm a i'm a i'm a participation award winner <laughs> of the 2004 little mr philippines um event little mr philippines yeah oh bro yeah that's beautiful yeah my um my mum and dad, they like, because they had a karaoke, because karaoke's big in the Philippines mm -hmm. as well, and we had a karaoke machine because my mum owned a Filipino restaurant. Wow. So. In Christchurch? Yeah, in Christchurch, in Littleton. Wow. And so she would cater to a lot of the cruise ships, a lot of the, um, the crew were Filipino. Mm. So she'd make a lot of money. I remember one time when I was really young, she made so much money, she had to take she had to walk to the car with plastic bags full of cash mm. because she just raked it in because those cruise ships it was just so much wow. business coming through but we then did. it always balanced the winter because it'd be terrible yeah right so that was pretty rough but yeah so we had the karaoke machine there mm. so they they noticed that i like to sing on it and so they would so they were like oh this is good let's let's give him to the filipino society and he can sing some karaoke in front of everyone so they were making me like sing karaoke in front of like 60 yeah. middle-aged filipino people <laughs> that's amazing yeah look gigs a gig mate gigs a um, gig mm. you know in hard times you take the gigs that are in front of you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um what was it like growing up with a, with a family with that kind of rhythm like you know with where it highs seasonal highs seasonal lows mm. like well, I didn't realize, um, like, when you're a kid, my parents were really good at not telling me about the hardships that mm. they were going through at the time. But looking back at it now, it's like, ooh, we were struggling. Mm. Um, my dad uh, ran into some really bad luck with, uh, so a, this, I forgot, I don't know what his name is, but this really rich guy, got my dad to do the electrical work for one of the yachts mm -hmm. um, in the port and he was making all the actual stuff but they but he put it all on his all of the costs he did he put on his credit card on my dad's credit card and they were going to pay it back in advance oh. um, and then on the final test day, the guy went, took it for a test took it for a test straight to Auckland and then went to Mexico and no one ever saw him again left my dad in like close to a million dollars worth of debt holy crap and because this was the this was like the bottom rung of the people that this guy had affected. Yeah. The courts didn't care. So yeah, they ended up having to sell our family home. Um, we ended up having to survive off the restaurant. We bought, they bought another house. And I remember in this house, like my mum would tell me, she was like, yeah, I would go to, she would go to sleep crying at night because mm. of how terrible. We had no, we had no ceiling. We just had like a plastic, oh jeez. We just had like, yeah, plastic, um, on top like the thermal stuff mm. and that was it and then i remember like it was the family room here didn't even have a carpet it was a straight wood floor then the next would be my dad's workshop yeah there'd just be holes in the floor mm. that would go straight into the foundation and it was like at the time when you're a kid you're like this is just life this is how you live yeah yeah it's like and this, this is the kind of, yeah you don't have a cool house like mine? yeah like, yeah 
that's weird. You don't have sick hide and seek spots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to do <the> stuff. <laughs> yeah, when you're a kid with a kid's imagination, those kind of houses can actually be really kind of like whoa. Yeah, yeah. I, I never understood why I always went to my cousin's house yeah. to hang out and right. not the other way around. Right. Until I was older, I was like, oh no, we were we were poor. I remember my dad when I was on Christmas. He was like, I, I didn't understand at the time, but he gave me a present. He was just like, I'm sorry, this is all we could give you. But he gave me a pinball toy from the $2 shop. So I was yeah. like, this? This is all you could give me? Oh, man, this is all I want. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. My mum said it was a little bit of a blessing because it humbled my dad. Because right. my dad was a very, like, I'm the leader of the house. This is a patriarchy. Follow my word. But then once my mum had it over him to go, you lost my house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. You're not winning a fight for a while after that yeah. one. <laughs> and um, because it wasn't even my mum's, it wasn't even like my dad and my mum bought it. So my dad, um, it was my mum's previous hu late husband's house. Right. And so they had to sell that to clear all of their debt. Right. Um, and so that, that, was, that ate up at my dad for about for about 10 years because yeah. whenever they had an argument and this is what I heard from my parents every time they had an argument my mum would just be like but remember the house oh man I mean and that's then, a ball let him win one yeah yeah but then one. so then and then my dad was like fine then and then she, he built her a house he built her a house <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a good flex yeah eating fried chicken in the shower just as delicious whether you built the shower or not what about what about as a Kiwi bro? Mm -hmm. uh, how how do you feel you fit into New Zealand society? Um, I I think I fit pretty well mm. these days. I feel like when I was a teenager, there were kind of moments where I didn't realize that there was a divide. Mm. Like my parents would say certain Tagalog words. And that's just what I thought the English word was. Yeah. Because they never said the English word. Like, I always thought that saliva and spit was Laowai. I thought that's... Yeah, right. <laughs> I, like, I remember there was one time when I was in, in primary school, um, I kept saying to my teacher, and I looked really worried, and I said to the teacher, I've forgotten my baton. I don't know, I, I don't know what to do. Mm. And my teacher's like, what is, what is this baton? And it was like, and then later on, they found out, oh, he meant lunch. Because <laughs> I didn't know that I there was. A... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah baton. Like, oh, oh, I gotta wait till merienda before I have <laughs> like my food. Merienda was like um, afternoon tea. Right. So it's like I didn't know that there was the term was afternoon tea. It was just yeah, what yeah, I heard, right. you know. But like, you you've won New Zealand's Billy T James Comedy Award. Mm -hmm. Like you like almost represented New Zealand uh, as an athlete. Yeah. Did represent? What, like, like, yeah, like, a couple. A couple of times. I mean, look at you, just waving at us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> crying. Okay. Which is the most New Zealand thing you could do. Oh, yeah, I represented New Zealand a couple, couple of times. Yeah. yeah what, <laughs> well, you know, I just... Um, what did you represent New Zealand in, David? I did... Uh, I was an Olympic weightlifter for about six years. <laughs> so, you know, I feel that's something which your comedy fans might not necessarily yeah. be listening to this going, sorry, did he just say he was an Olympic weightlifter for six years? Yeah. <laughs> it was, um, I started it when I was a teenager mm -hmm. as a joke. Because mm -hmm. um, I've always been the drama kid. <laughs> yeah. So, and they did like this big, I remember they did this big um, demonstration at an assembly and I was like, yeah, this could be pretty funny. Me lifting weights. So I turned up, and all these rugby boys were around there as well, mm. and I was like, oh, this is definitely a joke. Mm. But then after the first training, mm. 
I was the only one that really turned up to the next training. <laughs> Everyone else didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they obviously had other sports going on. Mm-hmm. And the coach was like, my coach at the time was like, oh yeah, you've got a lot of, you've got talent in this. Before that, I was like the kid that would go to the magic shop after school every day and right. just annoy the, <laughs> the person who owned the magic shop, be like, show me another trick. Yeah. And then so I start, stopped going there and then started going to the training. Mm-hmm. And it was great in my formative years because I didn't know how to talk to people. I was just, I was like such a weird kid. And <laughs> the thing I loved about the gym was that it didn't feel like, like when you're on the platform training, mm. it's mm. serious. You're not making any jokes or anything like that. But when you're off and you're sitting down waiting for your set, mm. you're bantering with everyone else, listening to music. Right. And it was just a really cool environment. Did you ever go back into the magic shop and just be like, hey, I've got a new trick for you and then just pick everything yeah, up? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, I actually, yeah, um, oh, I wish I did that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he, I'm pretty sure the owner of the magic shop, mm. I'm pretty sure he came to one of my competitions. Really? Yeah, and watched me do some weightlifting he was he was really integral for my comedy career because he was the guy that gave me my first gig really yeah wow because he was friends with all of the buskers mm-hmm. in the Christchurch scene and when the earthquake hit they had nowhere to perform mm-hmm. so he made a new indoor show called monday night magic mm-hmm. and um he saw me because i was doing like doing like a theater course as well at the time he saw one of my performances. I oh, just did that on stage. Like, give it a shot. Yeah. And I did it. And then he's like, do it again next month when I do another show. And I was like, I've got yeah. nothing. He's like, just make something up. Were you still lifting at the time? Yeah. You? Yeah, I was still lifting as well. So, yeah. So, lifting theater and starting to do comedy as well. Yeah. Yeah. All oh, three of those things. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. And that's when it all kind of came to a head. And that was, that was definitely, yeah, one of the, um, one of the hardest years, I'd say, because I was just starting to get recognition for comedy like people were starting to go yep this is really good this is mm. really funny i made a i remember i booked like my first gig at the classic mm. and on that same day i made a youtube video they ended up going viral and i was like oh okay people are doing people like me for this now mm. and at that same time like at the end of that month i was going to be competing to try qualify for the qualifier for the commonwealth games mm. at the time so i was having like this buzz about comedy yeah and then i was having this weightlifting stuff as well and then just as I got to the um, qualifier, um, I shat the bed and broke my ankle <laughs> trying now, to qualify. <laughs> just, just for our international listeners, mm-hmm. when you say you shat the bed, that is a turn of phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because with weightlifting, I feel like we've all seen enough horrific injuries in weightlifting that if you told us, yeah, I've snapped my ankles and shat myself, people would be like, oh, I don't want to see it. But yep, I, I totally... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, but, yeah, I know what this guy's known for. Yeah, that sounds yeah. very on brand for David. <laughs> but you, you, you snapped uh, snap both your ankles. Both? No, I snapped one of them. One of them. Um, I snapped in the terms of uh, all of the ligaments surrounding my ankle mm. snapped and made the bow drift apart oh, oh, oh. yeah oh. yeah that's what 182 kilos will do to your ankle have you been injured before like that's that's a serious injury that's a that's mm-hmm. a big one right that's mm-hmm. what are we talking a year off a month off, like that ended months? my whole uh, weightlifting career career ender yeah yeah that and, ended it all and is that normal that that's a career ending injury like no it was most people would be like okay keep going with it but um, over that period of time, the Commonwealth Games, 
obviously happened mm. and my training partner Saxon ended up going to the Commonwealth Games mm. and just experiencing all of that yeah. and seeing where weightlifting could have taken me mm. and also combined with where comedy was taking me, I was like, I think I've got to put this aside right. and give comedy a really good shot now. How does your experiences on, with, your, with your family with growing up, mm-hmm. uh, just looking back now, and like with weightlifting and that whole, you had a whole career's journey mm. before you're 21. How does that? Yeah, yeah. Thought of it like that. Yeah, you know, like you, <laughs> you went up, up, you came down, went up again. You had big moments, low moments, and you're not even 21 yet. Mm. How old are you now? 27. So six years <laughs> later, you did weightlifting six years. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Six years later. What, if, what can you see from all those experiences that you take into the comedy world? Um, I am bringing... It took a really long time to figure it out, but, I mean, I had such a good work ethic when it came to weightlifting mm. because you, it was regimented. You just had to turn up on time and just do the work. And I find with comedy... It's the real world. No one's... Mm. You've got no coach in comedy. Yeah. You've got no one telling you, you need to do this, you need to do that. And, and I find that comedians have this, this, like, this saying of like, you can't teach comedy. You have to... It just has to be in. You just have to have it. You just got... You're born funny. And so yeah. you're like, well, okay, how do I improve? I don't know. How. And so I feel like in the last year, that's, it's finally trying to develop that work ethic mm. that I had as an athlete. Like you talked about how when you're young... Yeah. You don't really realize you're Filipino. Mm-hmm. Like, you, like, you, just, oh, well, oh. you don't even realize that you're Kiwi. Dude, the you know? first time I got called the N-word, I was seven years old. Yo, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Yep, I was seven years old. How, wait, I'm just like, again... But for... he was Australian, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird, because everyone put that on me. Because I was the only brown kid. Yeah. So they put... Anything that was brown, yeah. they put it on me. And is that like, because I know for, again, for our listeners overseas who are just like, wait, a Filipino kid in New Zealand got called the M-word? How does that even work? Mm-hmm. It, it, it shouldn't. That's the point. Yeah. But like, how, what happens? What's your brain doing? Like, you're seven years old, so do you even know? I don't know. Like, I, don't know I don't know what that word means. Yeah. I, like, you hear it, and you mm-hmm. grow up with it, and you hear it being said, and... You just have no, like, idea of what it means because you're so removed from it. Yeah. Being from, you know, being from New Zealand, like, you don't know yeah. what that word means. <laughs> Do you think when it means New seven? Zealand? <laughs> Are you sitting there going, New Zealand? <laughs> People go, did they call you the M-word? <laughs> yeah, I'm from New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, yeah, I remember I pissed off one kid when I was 15. Yeah. Um, and he pushed me and then he called me, yeah, a dirty N-word. Dirt. And then what? I and then I told uh, my teacher, yeah, and like, cause cause the teacher came through when they saw me pushing him over and stuff, mm. and be like trying to start a fight. And my teacher was like, you know, why are you getting, you're physically hurting him. He called you a word. What does mm. that mean? But it's also like, you know, it shouldn't affect me because it's not my, that's not my. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not I, my trauma. Well, I hear, but you know, and, and you know, I've, I've been, I've been called it, and I, I made a show about mm-hmm. getting called it and how weird that was. Mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, when we talk about there, there are words with power, but there's also the malice behind those words. And I think when someone says the M word to a person of color, mm. even if 
they, there's no reason for that person of color and their ethnic background to have anything to do with the M word. It's the, the hate and the, the, yeah. the stripping, the intent of stripping of identity. Yeah. Which I think makes the red mist come down on all of us. Yeah. Because even if that word makes no sense contextually for your experience, you can see what's behind the M word. You can see what, what they're trying to say. What they're trying yeah. to say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was really, it was really surreal thinking back and just thinking about how high school there really weren't many other brown kids. Like, I remember, mm-hmm. like, when I first came to that high school, there was only about four Filipino kids right. out of about 500 yeah. um, students. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, the only other Asian students I really could remember were, like, you know, the international students. But mm-hmm. then even then, other, like, second generation... What would I be? A first generation or my second generation? Uh, parents from overseas? Yeah. I think you Ooh, I, I don't know the rules. Yeah, I think I'm... Yeah, I think I'm first. First, first generation, yeah. There was only other, a couple of other first generation mm. kids. It wasn't a big thing. Yeah. And it wasn't until I moved up to Auckland that I went, ooh. Right. Ooh, brown people. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I remember the first time I went to Sydney, uh, I was like, ooh, what? something's different. What's going on? Oh, there's no brown people. Yeah. <laughs> then you try to get into a club and you're like, my lord, brown people. Like, you know, yeah. Like, I remember, like, hey, one thing that I'm kind of thinking about at the moment like in that sense it's like i used to only like white girls when i was like growing up oh real and like it it, it wasn't until i got to like my mid-20s and i was mm. like oh oh no there are other cultures you know and i like this this is really cool and so i'm kind of just i'm unpacking that now yeah at the moment i mean Wait. i talk about that with my one of my mates as well well what's what's that about like because uh, I, I mean that's sort of a different stereotype that a lot of people might not be aware of, but there is, the, especially amongst people of color, the idea that men of color mm. are always after white women. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's like, what's, what, where's your particular I think, mentality I think, come from there? Yeah, I think it, just, it came from like one was like the, the cultural divide, mm. I, I guess, when it came to like other Asian kids that I met mm. was kind of like, oh, they're normally from another country. And so, like, the cultural mm. differences kind of split apart. So, so, which just meant that I was surrounded by a lot of white people. Yeah. And all of my friends would mm. always go, oh, yeah, this, this girl's really hot. Oh, yeah, man, really like her. And then mm. so you look at that and you're like, okay, so I guess that's what I want to achieve as well. Right. This is what everyone else is after. This is what I should be after as, as well. Right. And and I had and I used I can't believe I used to say this, but in my head I was always like, oh no, other Filipino girls just remind me of my sisters. So okay. it's like, you know, that was my excuse. Yeah, yeah. But then now it's like, oh man, man, you're just surrounded by a lot of white people <laughs> growing up. <laughs> Eating fried chicken in the shower. Remember, if someone calls you a mean word, they owe you chicken for life. When did you know? Who t- did anyone tell you you were good at comedy? Like, did anyone? Like, was there a moment when you're like, I need to leave Christchurch and move to Auckland? And... Yeah, you. You oh, were really? One of, yeah, you were one of the people. Oh, really? Yeah. You, you, were, <laughs> you, were, you were definitely one of the... I mean, the story about you, man, is like, I used to watch you... I mean, I've told you this. I used to watch you on TV when I was a teenager, like oh, on the yeah. galas. I'll be honest. I blocked I block those memories of those conversations out because they make me feel so old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
you say it and I go, oh yeah, no, you have told me that. And I go, oh, but that just makes me, it hurts my bones. Oh no. But it's just, it's, yeah, having moments like that, um, meeting you and, you know, talk to you and you giving me advice Mm. and just seeing like, oh wow, there's a connection to this. Mm. And I'm pretty sure when I was first starting out, I asked if you could, like, I was just working on my first kind of like show mm. then i remember asking you hey can you please <laughs> just tell someone <laughs> that i'm doing this and oh yeah oh i remember that i think mm. what took me aback when i first met you and i didn't know your story was how fearless you were oh real like it, it just you just had this air of fearlessness and i still feel for your audiences you have an air of fearlessness mm. you know and uh, I, I wonder if that's related to the, the traumas uh, like you know, uh, that's a very dramatic way of pointing the highs and lows of, of your life that you'd already you'd already had a lived experience. Mm. You know, <laughs> like you, 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 you'd, you'd seen some shit, bro. Like, and you'd done some shit, and so I couldn't believe how confident and how fearless you were in the stuff you were presenting. Mm. Wow. Does that sound right to you? Um, I just I love it. I love being on stage, and that fearlessness is, I think, just the love of performing and being in it because you do wild stuff yeah i don't know if people haven't seen you can find david on youtube um your sets are the <laughs> stuff of legend like in the new zealand comedy like and and, and edinburgh at late and live which is a very famous show overseas is you know the people talk about a, a david Corio's set because mm. there's there's a manic energy to it mm. uh, and often you're, you're doing things to yourself sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but what are some examples of that? Well, like what, what, what are kind of oh, things you do? I have a bit where um, I, I eat a tablespoon of cinnamon and then I down a liter of milk and then I eat a whole egg, including the shell, and then I shove a condom up my nose and then make it come out of my mouth and I do it in 52 seconds. Um. <laughs> You know, when you put it like that, um, I take back everything I said about your comedy, but... but like, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, how do you get there creatively? Okay, I mean, wow, this whole thing's been a lot about high school, but, I mean, that's kind of how I made myself stand out in high school, was I did all of these little stunts yeah for like my friends because that's what i just wanted them to be my, be my friends i was like i'll do this weird shit so that you know, they all laugh at me and, and i thought laughing at me was a sign that they were my friends so you know i'd eat right. bugs in front of people i'd been yeah i'd eat <laughs> like just go up to a wall i'd see a mosquito and someone would tell me oh man you're the guy that eats bugs or i remember one time there was a there was a puddle and it was like david we'll pay you five bucks if you drink this puddle and so i drank the puddle and then they didn't pay me um, and then they, uh, and Which then is they. the bigger crime. I no, the worst crime was I didn't realize they all spat in the puddle <laughs> beforehand. So it was like that. And like, if you wanted me to do something really crazy, mm. like I was the I was the dummy, the crashiest yeah. dummy. Yeah. You just have to say things like, "Don't worry, we'll be your friend." Like, if you do this, we'll be your friend. And that was the line that could get me to do anything. One time, a kid said that to me. And they managed to convince me to stand in front of a, a like a raised gutter um, of a car park. They they ran a trolley, maybe about 20 meters, like full speed, ran it into the elevated part of the gutter. And I was standing here, and it flipped and just slammed me right in the face. And I, and they said to me, "Do this, 
and we'll be your friend. And I went, oh, nah. It's like, yeah, well, we will. And then, like, yeah, then I would do it. I mean, I'm really glad you didn't turn into a serial killer uh, yeah. from that behavior. But do you recognize that as abuse? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sh- Yeah, I definitely have definitely thought, like, oh, I should be a... I could have easily gone down a different path if I didn't have anyone give me the good old thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, but was that is it as simple as that? Like why? Like I can generally hear my listeners going like, why? 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 Yeah, I, I think just, that's what I'm saying. Why? Yeah, because I just wanted the I wanted the attention, and I wanted the I wanted the validation of people going, yeah, he's funny. Oh, he's the crazy guy. We'll get him to do this, and then seeing everyone laugh or enjoying themselves. Like, yeah, okay. If your physical want for validation is manifesting in your childhood as acts of abuse, Mm. how does your relationship to an audience as a professional comedian where that comedy is based on those interactions, Mm. like how how does that relationship work then? Um, it's, It's kind of why... I'm trying to dig deeper for for different material because two years ago I feel like I hit the peak of that. I hit the peak of the the crazy stuff of what? the wild the wild stunts, and then it just got to a point where I was like, I don't know how to top this. Right. And I started finding myself writing bits to write to that voice, even though I didn't feel the need to really want to do this. Right. To do this thing. So that's when I was like, oh, I think this is dangerous. I think I'm now getting to the point where I'm feeding into what I think they want. Then no one's telling me to do this thing. It's in my own head. I'm like, well, if they like this, I've got to take it to the extreme. Yeah. And then I bring it to my little head and then I come up with something yeah. more intense. And it's also a lot of the stunts that I did, it was stuff that I did when I was a teenager. Like eating the, eating the whole Raw, I'd done that before. Yeah. I knew that I could shove a con up my nose, make him. I knew I could do that. Like, it's just little things when you're bored as a teenager, stuck in your room, yeah. <laughs> experimenting. <laughs> Honestly, bro, I think most of us just like read comic books and wanked. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, like, I don't know if all of us were shoving condoms up our noses. So you've been to number twice? Three times. Three times. Yeah. Yes, that's right. You went once with a double up show and then you've done two solos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I know that, like I said, you've, you've done great in late, in, uh, late in Live there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're you know, renowned for late night spots there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, tell me about Edinburgh. Tell me about being you know, a kid from Christchurch uh, who's not even getting into doing comedy and suddenly you're getting like four star reviews. Yeah, uh, in the world's biggest arts fest. <laughs> um, it was incredible, and I don't think um, I would have never imagined doing the Edinburgh Fringe. One, because I didn't know it existed. It's <laughs> <laughs> a key key factor. I didn't know it existed, and I didn't know how big it was. And so when um, Richard Carrington was telling me. A pay, we should go do Edinburgh, mm. do this. I was like, okay, sweet. And he also said to me, 
by the way, there's no way for me to prep you for Edinburgh. You're just going to go through it, just experience it. That's what you're going to mm. feel. And I remember, yeah, again, some older comics were telling me, that giving me advice. And like, the first year, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Have fun. Party. Yeah. Do it all. Save the hard slog for the next year. Mm. And so I was like, okay, sweet. That sounds good. Okay, that's cool. And so doing the double act, the double header was kind of that year. Mm. And then the second year, I brought my... Um, my, my own solo show mm. to it and yeah that show was wild <laughs> yeah you're eating, an, you're eating a raw egg every night yeah I was doing some really so yeah it was a really that was such a it was such a crazy show the whole idea of it was I wanted to go from like 1 to 10 in the space mm. of an hour mm. with intensity yeah and it ended with me shoving a bike pump up my butt okay pumping it and then farting into the microphone which tied in to a story i told at the start okay that was so it was all justified yeah it's a theme. <laughs> look whatever you need to do to get through edinburgh that's what we always yeah. say bro like you know <laughs> most people do that at home but you know you've taken the answer hey, you find it you find it you find your, you find your funny man. <laughs> but what's that like when you like is that because that's a memorable bit yeah. Like, if you go and see a show where someone shoves a bike pump up their ass at the finish. Yeah. Pumps, it, pumps, it, pumps full of air, I yeah. assume, and then farts the air out. And the worst part was, or the, or the best part was, mm. I'd tell people this, and people that went to the show, they were like, that wasn't even the worst thing you did. What's, what's the worst thing you <laughs> did? Oh, oh, there was some bad bits in there. What, what was in there? What there was, was one bit where I would talk to the audience, mm-hmm. and I'd get them to tell me a song that had meaning to them. Seems safe. And we'd be like, okay, well, okay. And they'd tell us the story behind the song. Mm-hmm. And then I would play the song. Mm-hmm. I'd pull out some cat food. Mm-hmm. I'd eat, start eating the cat food in front of the person's face while screaming at them, this is your new memory. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the whole, the whole bit. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I had a good year was because Zoe Lyon saw me mm. and then after my show went to a comedian's bar mm. and just told everyone about this wild show and everyone else came to my show and I had yeah, some, right. some, inc- like, some incredible comedians came to my show and I was like, oh my God, yeah. this is so cool. And yeah. it's because they were all like, no one's doing this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen this done before. <laughs> so they were like, they all came and then I feel like I just disappointed everyone when the next year... I tried to showcase a new style, which was just stand-up. Mm. And everyone that like enjoyed me from the year before, they came to this, and they're like, this is... What is this, bro? Yeah. Everyone else is doing this. Right. Why are you trying to be like everyone else? Just be yourself. Be who you are. Yeah. And because that's who they decided that you were. Yeah. Because I'd never taken a show to Edinburgh before where I did stand-up. Because normally, in New Zealand, it's 15 minutes of stand-up, mm. and then five minutes of weird stuff yeah but i was like anita brothers i've got to make a bang i'm Mm. just gonna do the weird stuff yeah and yeah so then the second year when people came they were very disappointed people were very disappointed and what's that like for someone who wants validation so hard to go validation they're like no bike pump no yeah no bike pump it's terrible it's it's the worst feeling and I and I look back at it now, and I was the worst feeling. No, okay, it's not the worst. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's just that, that's feeling. really interesting that that's the language you use. Like, that's the word, like considering everything you've told me today, yeah. people in Edinburgh being disappointed is the worst. Like you're saying, it's the worst feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll stand by that. Yeah, fair call, yeah, I'll bro. stand by that. Yep, disappointing someone is the, or yeah, seeing someone going, oh, that's not that. Is the, you know, if you look back at it, why else did I? 
do all the weird stuff. It's because I wanted them to be like, good job. Yeah. You did good. Good job. Um, and I mean, just reading the reviews that I got, just taking them personally. And also earlier on that year or the year beforehand in that crazy show, I was downing a bottle of red wine in the space of the first 20 minutes of the show. Right. So I was blasted by that. And not, and not fake red wine. No, real no, red, red wine. wine. And right. people were watching me down it and they were just like, and it's kind of funny because it's like, it's the wheels falling off the bus. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. And it and it fed into that show. There's a narrative reason for you. Like, you're trying to go to one to 10. So you yeah. start and you get drunk and then you go boom and they're like, whoa, we're in a car crash. Yeah, yeah so yeah. that's it. But then I applied that to the stand-up. Right. And I was downing like two glasses of big red wine before like one before the show and then one during the show yeah and people and i was just losing people because i didn't realize now it's about rhythm now it's about what you're saying and mm. your craft and it just went all out the window because i was drunk and mm. i didn't have control mm. and so how many nights were you drunk on stage um i think it was more easy it'd be more easier for me to go i think i had five nights sober right yeah of that show right. i performed that show maybe year sober five times and by that point, it was way too late in the season and it mm. affected my ticket sales and no one was wanting to come. Mm. And the reviews had already come and I got two one-star reviews and one two-star review yeah, for right. that show. And in New Zealand, people loved the show because right. they were championing like me doing a new style. And, mm. and I wasn't drunk. I wasn't doing it drunk. So right. yeah, it just went from strength to strength. Why were you doing it drunk in Edinburgh then compared to New Zealand? Because I got scared. Right. I was really scared of people not enjoying it. I was scared of the flyering. Mm. I don't like flyering. So I was like, I'll do it drunk. A bold move. Yeah. <laughs> but very important for our listeners, not a unique move. Yes, no. I've no. seen other people do it. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'll do it. And it did make, make me feel better. Mm. But then by the time I was on stage, I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm drunk. This isn't. Yeah. And then I get to like the 20 minute mark and I'm like, oh no. Yeah. I think I hit the peak five minutes ago right. and now it's only going downhill from here yeah and that was my yeah second year in comedy and and i had one review the biggest reviewer in scotland mm. came to my show mm. and that was the show where no one was really laughing it was the breaking point and i stopped halfway through the show mm. and i went this isn't me mm. why am i doing this mm. i'm so sorry i'm so sorry that you're here i'm so sorry i brought this here don't worry next year i'm gonna bring something back that i really love and then someone started to try applause break me yeah. and i went shut the fuck up this is not one of those moments <laughs> i mean comedy is tragedy plus time <laughs> yo and then I and then I proceeded to do another two minutes and <laughs> bombed. And then I was like, and that's the end of the show. See you later. And I finished at like half an hour. Uh, uh, and you know what the best part is? I recorded every set. So I have the audio. Oh, of that. wow. I, have, I still haven't had the balls to listen back to it. You still haven't listened to nah, it? No, I still haven't listened to it. Do you think you will? Yeah, I think so. And just to put it in perspective, just so our, our audience uh, can really understand the, the semi-insanity of an artist's mentality. Because mm. artists aren't special. Like not then like we're not magical or anything. No. We're just wired in a different way. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> my dear friend, who I love dearly, what would you rather have? 
A trolley smashed into your face, separating your lip from your teeth, or a one-star review? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've never been given a would you rather where it's a exact 50-50. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is the uh, Edinburgh Survivors version of it's in the bag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's it gonna be, Christchurch? <laughs> the trolley or the star? <laughs> like, I don't know. They both hurt. <laughs> do, you, uh, do, you, do you have rhythms in place? Have you, like, you, you know, talk about training, talk about discipline. Have you got healing rhythms in place for yourself now? No. No, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what I should do. <laughs> um, Thanks for coming in, David. Yeah, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. but like, yeah, is that is that something you think about? Yeah, because I mean. I've, I've, I've witnessed depression now mm. um, and like fr from people close to me and after seeing that it's done it's done that thing to me where I got my problems aren't actually that bad ah right but yeah. that, that can also be a, a, a yeah. Yeah. yeah well I'll tell you what we can do bro uh, we are eating fried chicken in the shower have yeah. access to uh, people and places and networks yeah. So, you know, if you want to talk to someone about healing rhythms, uh, like, not like in crystals, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, but like if you went to about like um, best practice, you know, like mm. you, training, you know, things you can do. Yeah. Um, we can, we can find someone there. Yeah. You know, I can, would really love that. I think. Yeah. After this. I mean, yeah, I'm. Oh, this is weird. Yeah, it's very genuine right now. But yeah, I'd really like to look into that. That's, that's <laughs> absolutely fine, bro. If if we cannot, if you and me after all this time can't be genuine in a shower with fried chicken, I just don't know where we can be genuine. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, bro, we got you. We cool. got you. Uh, we ask everyone who comes into the shower the mm -hmm. um, same question, which mm -hmm. is: Is there anything you would like to share in the shower um, before you go? Mm. Oh, I just want to share uh, a thank you yeah. to you personally. Oh, um, just you've really been like an older brother to me. Oh, fuck. Um, this yeah, during my whole career, and I feel like yeah, at the at the start meeting you, just you sitting down and bonding over our dads. <laughs> was really something I'll never forget. And the way you um, helped me through Edinburgh, I feel you had no reason to do that. Um, you took me out, you took me out for a haircut <laughs> and breakfast. Yeah, and what, you took hey. us to a dope barber. <laughs> we went to the circus barber who yeah. was called Headcase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and like, McGiddy yeah. Fades was yeah, the guy. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> It's like a Brazilian dude and a guy from Mexico who was definitely escaping from the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just trying to live, you know, an honest, an honest heart, <laughs> yeah, working life now. Like, what did you used to do before? I don't like to talk about that, brother, but uh, we'll get you that fee going on. <laughs> it was just so tailored to what I wanted and needed at the time. Yeah, and I didn't even know I needed it. Man, sometimes you need chicken in the shower. Sometimes you need hot cakes and a fresh fee. Yeah, and I'm just, and I'm glad that you're teaching me this stuff because i i can only think of like passing it like i mean when new comics are coming through mm. i try to do the same thing that 
other comics did for me. Which Man, is... One day you're going to have a kid from Guam mm. uh, who'll be sitting at a table with you talking about how they got called the N-word when they were five. And you'll be like, yo, I feel this. I feel this. <laughs> Sit down, we're going to get haircuts. <laughs> Uh, David Coriotz, thanks for coming and sharing some KFC and hey. Jasmine Rice with me, bro. Thank you so much for this, James Nakis. This, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this has been fantastic. Perfect. Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower was produced for RNZ by Charlie Bleakley and Fruit and Nuts Limited and presented by me, James Nokise. The engineer was Blair Stagpole. The executive producers for RNZ were Justin Gregory and Tim Watkins. Subscribe to our podcast however you just found this podcast. Or, if you're listening on the radio, go to RNZ's podcast page and look for the chicken. And when you rate us, only give us five stars. Remember, more stars, more chicken. And if you want to share your safe space or comfort food, tweet me at James Nokise. If you need support, text 1737. Or for more resources on mental health, check the fried chicken webpage at rnz.co.nz. If you're experiencing COVID-19 related mental health issues, go to health.govt.nz and search for COVID-19 mental health and well-being resources. We'll also link to it on the RNZ page. Fafta matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.